Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. And here's a question that we've been answering. I'm going to dive right into it. Basically, what does it take to see a move of God? What does it take to see God do something that on the other side of watching him do it, the only explanation is God did that? Whether it's you personally, whether it's your family, whether it's your home, whether it's your city, whether it's through our church. And the answer to the question of what does it take to see a move of God is blood and thunder. All throughout the scripture, you see this powerful analogy that, that thunder over and over again represents the power, the authority, and the might of a resurrected Savior. And then all throughout the scripture, specifically New Testament, you see this idea that blood represents life and sacrifice. And so if you are going to experience a move of God, it's not one or the other. It's not just kind of let go and let God and we're going to pray, but we're not going to do anything to hustle for it. But is literally coming to the place to realize that all of me the blood coursing through my veins, everything that I've been given, it's God's. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's getting to the place to basically pray with David, God, not my will, but your will be done. And when you get to that posture in that place to where, listen, everything I have is yours, that literally is an invitation for God to move, God to work, God to show off his might in any circumstance, in any situation, in any neighborhood, any city, and in any church. And come on, can we just come around this idea? God is not reluctant to move. God is not reluctant to do something in our church that is unexplainable other than his supernatural power, but it requires both blood and thunder. It requires you and us surrendering, and it requires God bringing his power in a way that only he could do it. Now, you know where it's most difficult to do that? You know where that surrender maybe is the most difficult for us to where it's just hard to let go? It's around the area of our stuff. It's around the area of our money. It's around the area of generosity. But it is, I believe, from the scriptures, the epicenter of where God begins to work when God begins to move. For a couple reasons. Your stuff, your money, the area of generosity, it's all about, as Jesus taught, your heart. And your heart is all about your devotion. And when God has your devotion, it is the staging ground for God to do something in you and through you that doesn't happen any other way. And... It is the epicenter and the most powerful application of what Jesus said matters most. And Jesus, right before he's going to be crucified, he's in the upper room with his guys. And he's like, listen, um, if you guys forget everything I say, and you're going to forget everything I say, I just want you to come back to this idea because everybody's going to complicate it. But I want you to move out into the world with what you're about to see me do in the next 24 hours. And I want you to love other people like that. I want you to sacrifice for other people like that. I want you to treat other people like that. I'm going to shift the paradigm on what it means to relate to God. Because the most important thing to me is people that are made in my image. And to quote Andy Stanley, we looked at this last week, everybody matters to God whether God matters to them or to God or not. 
Everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And Jesus shows up on the scene to go, listen, I'm shifting the paradigm. And now what you do for God really has nothing to do with what you actually do for God. It has everything to do with what you do for other people around you. And the vertical first century, memorize the Torah and go to the temple and offer the sacrifices, all of those were great, but you could do that and just fake it. I'm introducing something else to the world that you can't fake it, that relationship with God vertically is borne out by how you treat and how generous you are to people horizontally that maybe are nothing like you and in your mind are nothing like God. And God's like, that is why I came and that's the heart of my mission. And in the first century, there was a group of people that embraced that and it literally, it changed the world. And so as we come around this idea every year, um, this year our For Our City campaign on December 8th, where we're going to give a special offering, it's around this idea that, listen, when we are willing to surrender at this level, God is willing to move on our behalf. And this is the thing that is closest to the heart of, of God. That's other people. And so on December the 8th is our For Our City offering. What we're doing this year is, Chris talked about it for a second on the video, we're raising $30,000, $20,000 are going away to our partner organizations. We've gone to them to go, what would make a big difference, not j just this time of year, but as you move into 2020. And we're going to fund things like helping um, a development and rehabilitation um, uh, center that they're getting going in Ybor City. We're helping Family Promise to help the homeless, not just giving them housing, but also education and rehabilitation, um, crisis pregnancy center through life care. If you go to our website, centerpointfl.org forward slash generosity, or just go to the app, click connect, all of the information is there. But $20,000, we are going to um, purchase exactly what they've said they need in our community. And then the other $10,000 is going toward the next generation. We're going to do some projects for our CC kids over and above regular operations costs to just go, listen, we want to invest in the next generation. We want to create exceptional environments and we want kids to get up wanting to come to church every week. And then as they do anchoring the hope of Jesus in their hearts to know that he has a will for their life, that they are worth something because of him. And when they get 22 years old and maybe go off the rails with a decision, we've already anchored in their heart that they have a God whose love is unending, it's relentless, and it never runs out. Out. And so that's what we're doing at this time of year. We are investing spiritually in what God wants to do in the hearts of people, including our next generation. And we are investing physically in what God actually wants to do in meeting the needs of people in our community. And that's what Jesus said we should be all about. So here's the thing um, that really makes this a big deal. Jesus in the New Testament, he talked about money and sex really more than he talked about anything else. They're also the two things we ignore more than anything else from Jesus' teachings. But he talked about money in like 16 of his 30-plus parables. And the crazy thing about it is Jesus never asked for money. Jesus never, like, he never needed it. That wasn't his agenda. It wasn't his heart. But Jesus was always working an angle because he knew what a big deal this was for us. I heard it said um, recently on a podcast, and I love this idea. Jesus knew that money can add meaning to your life, but it is not the meaning of your life. Like money, is, there's nothing wrong with it. It's morally neutral. You shouldn't feel guilty. If you have more of it, you should just feel responsible. But Jesus knew for all of us, for every church movement, for every individual, for every family, that money could add meaning to your life, but money was not the meaning of your life. Like, listen, come on, you know this. At the end of your life, nobody's talking about your 401k. Nobody's gathered around your casket 
or your urn, depending on what you're feeling. Nobody's gathered around that going, man, that Bitcoin investment that took off in 2022 was legit. We just want to honor this guy for that, right? Like nobody does that. Nobody's talking about it at the end. And in fact, you know this too. If you spend all of your life making money like your end goal, you've seen that work out really badly for people. You've seen it go off the rails. In some cases, you've seen those people end up alone because using money as a means to an end is ultimately what makes money meaningful. Isn't that true about anything in life? Like for anything to have value, it needs to be a means to an end. That literally is the definition of meaning. Like think about something where you cannot distinguish any verifiable purpose. Like love bugs in Florida. Like why were they invented? Why did God create them? Where did they come from? Like other than to jack up your car, like why do they exist? Cats, why were they created? Like why, I'm just kidding. See, I have one now. So I feel like I can't make those jokes. But like, there, there's no purpose. The definition of purpose and meaning is it is a means to an end that is something bigger than you and goes beyond you. Isn't that true? And here's the reality. When you decide to be a means to an end, just in regard to your life, your money ultimately is going to follow it. Because whatever you do with your life to go, I am surrendering this, and as specifically a Jesus follower, I want to do what you are calling me to do. Your money just follows that because if you become a means to an end in regard to how you live your life, your money ultimately will become a means to an end for something that is bigger than you. And what will begin to happen, just mark it down, is you'll begin to view your stuff, your resources, your money as a tool. A tool that is going somewhere beyond just this place in time. And listen, this is exactly what Jesus taught in his parables. Last week we looked at Luke. I'm going to look at something Luke wrote again. Luke was the guy that investigated, interviewed eyewitnesses, sat down, wrote these documents of everything that happened in Jesus' life or a good portion of it. And there's this one interaction where Jesus, as he often did, tells his parable. And a parable is like an untrue story that's used to illustrate something that's true. And here's what um, Jesus does or what he says in this story in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. You can check this out on the app. If you go to CC app, download that. It's all right there or to be on the screen. But in the New Living Translation, here's what he says. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So basically, you got this guy. Jesus starts to tell the story like, okay, I need to get a point across to you guys. There's this guy that had so much money. There's this dude that had so much wealth that he hired somebody to basically um, handle his portfolio, to do investments on his part, to negotiate stuff. But he just had, so, had to have somebody who managed the wealth that he had accumulated. And eventually, this boss finds out that the money manager that he hired starts to do shady stuff. Like, there, there's just things that he didn't approve that weren't a part of the interview process on the front end. And so in verse number two, the employer called in the money manager and said, what is this I hear about you? Basically, like, I'm getting word on the street that you're not repping me well. And you're doing some things that I never empowered you to do, and you're not being 100% honest. And so into verse two, get your report in order because you're going to be fired. Like, go get the books, bring them in. I am going to fire you, but I want to do an exit interview first. Go get the books and bring them in here, because with what you've done, I'm going to fire you. And so verse 3, the manager thought to himself, and this is the key words. Like, this is, this is where it's going. Now what? Because it's, 
It's all about time. My boss has fired me, and I don't have the strength to dig ditches because I'm kind of a cubicle, khakis, pumpkin spice latte kind of guy. Like, that's not happening for me. I'm too proud to beg. So here's this guy in the parable. He's got a little bit of time. He's got a little bit of opportunity, and he's got to figure out where he's going to go, what he's going to do, and who's going to take him in. And so verse 4, he gets an idea. All right, to ensure that I'm going to have plenty of friends who are going to give me a home when, because this is all about time. This is all about the future. This is all about what's going to happen next. To give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in and discuss the situation. And what you find out is apparently, I mean, this, this guy had a lot of money, his, his boss, which means he had a lot of debtors, a lot of people who owed him money. And so this manager is about to call a bunch of them in. There's only the story of two of them that are told, but the implication, there's a whole lot. Like there's a ton of people who actually owe him money. So he invites them in. And he discusses the situation. End of verse 5. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my boss? In verse 6, the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly, because I don't want anybody to know. I don't have a lot of time. I've got to figure something out quick. So I need you to do this really, really quickly while I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go next and change what you owed from 800 gallons to 400 gallons. Now, Jesus is like brilliant. So everybody in the story right now, you know how when he tells the story, you side with somebody in the story. And so everybody has emotions because there's the one group on the one side of it and like, hey, that's pretty amazing. Like I have student loans. I'm hoping the government does something with that. Like, I, I think it's pretty incredible what this guy's doing. And then you've got the other side of the group listening to this as Jesus is telling the story. And you're like, are you kidding me? They owed 800. You're going to slash it to 400. Like, it's irresponsible. It's lazy. These guys owe, so they need to pay what they owe. But the guy who had just been, basically had his debt reduced from 800 to 400, he's basically like, hey, listen, money manager. I'm not sure your name. If you ever need anything, Hit me up. If you ever need anything in the future, let me know. And then verse 7, um, it says, And how much do you owe my employer going to the next um, debtor? And he asked the next man, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. And so the manager said, Here, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And the guy who owes is like, Okay, hey, listen, if you ever need anything, let me know. If anything ever happens, just give me a call. And the money manager's like, you might be hearing from me sooner than you think. And the implication, he just did this over and over and over and over again. And then verse 8, the rich man. And, and the moment Jesus reintroduces the rich man into the story, everybody in the crowd is going, it is about to go down. Like the rich man's about to light him up. He's about to throw him in prison. In this culture, potentially, he's about to execute him. Like everybody, right? This is why Jesus is so brilliant. Everybody knows where the story's going. And then it's about to take a Quentin Tarantino turn out of nowhere and end in a way that you never expected. And three of you got that. But like Jesus, Jesus is setting them up. Because they knew that somebody in the story represented God and somebody represented themselves. And so the rich man had to, this is so crazy. The rich man had to admire, I love this wording, the dishonest rascal 
<laughs> for being so shrewd. And everybody in the audience is like, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, this is like, come on, man. That was amazing. That was pretty smart. I, I'm not advocating your dishonesty. Like, you were still shady on my behalf. But, like, that's thinking ahead. That was pretty smart. I got to give you some credit for that. Like, I don't know if I ever would have come up with that. I had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And, like, what's he going to do next? Like, everybody in Jesus' audience is completely confused because that's not how you respond. That's not how your boss reacts when he finds out something like that. And in the moment, because this is what Jesus does, he has everybody right where he wants them. He has you right where he wants you. Because Jesus is about to introduce the reality that in the kingdom of heaven, God views money and God views wealth in a different way than you do. And the point is, and end of verse eight, it is true that the children of this world, literally, people who just live like this is all there is. There's a birth date, there's a death date. I'm thinking about what's happening right now, what's happening in this season of my life, and literally that's all there is to life. The children of this world are more shrewd, meaning more thoughtful, in some cases more forward thinking, and dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And what he's saying initially to this Jewish audience is these Jewish people who've been given a promise that God's doing something. God's fulfilling something through you. It's going somewhere. It matters. This is not all there is. And he would say to us as Jesus followers 2,000 years later, listen, there's more. You're not home yet. This is not all there is. It is bigger than this. And you are so fascinated and consumed and sometimes seduced by what you see and what you feel and what's happening in the moment. And it is so much bigger than that. And the money manager, in essence, was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity. Like his little bit of time, because in the grand scheme, there's not that much of it. And his little bit of opportunity, because it's going to fade fast, and he took advantage of it. And Jesus' whole point is this. You should do the same thing. You should act the same way. You should ask the same questions. How do I leverage this? How do I use this? How do I use me for something bigger than what is happening right now in the moment? And so then Jesus gets really specific. Verse 9, here's the lesson. You, use, meaning your money, your stuff, your resources, it's an end, it's a tool. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then your possession, And then when your possessions are gone, and by the way, and you'll be gone too, they will welcome you, and this is kind of weird, to an eternal home. And, and this is crazy, and if it weren't for Jesus saying it, it just would be odd. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you're investigating, trying to figure all this out. I get this is the weird part of the scriptures. But what Jesus literally is saying is what you are managing temporarily right now has the ability to make an eternal difference. And the only reason you would take that seriously is because of Jesus. So you've heard this said so many times before, but if a dude can somehow predict that he's going to die and then he's going to bring himself back to life and he does it, you have to take everything he says at face value before you even fact check him. That's just intellectually honest. You were dead and you managed to bring yourself back to life, yes, with whatever you said. And so Jesus is like, listen, I'm just telling you. That your right now resources have the ability, have the power, and they will, if you allow them, to make a forever 
impact. It is not confined to right now. In fact, it cannot be confined to this moment. It is so much bigger than that. And the implication of what Jesus is teaching is this, that not a percentage of, but a hundred percent of what I have and what you have is a means to an end because that's what money is in light of eternity and what Jesus is, is inviting us into, that money is simply a means. And the question really is this, how can I leverage How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that is not me? Like, how can you leverage more of what God has placed in your hand, more of what God has given in your life to leverage, to be a means to an end that is not you? Like, this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about joy and happiness, like literally the Sermon on the Mount. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if you're a kid, you're like, whatever. But then you get older and like there's something to that. And literally the Greek word is happy. You are happier. You are more peaceful. You have been created for this. And there is something about living your life in this context that is different than any other way that you can live. It's how you've been manufactured. And what you do right now does not stay in the right now. It has the potential to make an impact forever. I'm so grateful when I grew up I had parents that just ingrained this and taught this um, because when my my wife and I got together it just became something that we did it became a habit I don't even know initially if it was so much a spiritual habit that I was like moved by God to do it. it was just like this is what you did but my parents just their whole life they didn't make much my dad was a pastor um, for 40 years but they they gave and were generous in ways that I thought was stupid when I was a kid. Like, I, I literally remember when people used to write checks, they would have their tithe checks, like, laying around for Sunday, and I would open it up and look at it, and I would literally get mad. I'm like, what are you doing? I know you don't make very much money. Why would you give that much money away? That's why we can't go to the movies. Number one, because Christians think it's of the devil. But besides that fact, we can't go because you, you're giving too much of the little money that you make away. And I would just watch them do that over and over again their entire life. And we're not talking 10%. It was beyond that. And it just did something in my heart so that by the time Nicole and I got married, it was just a thing that we did. And we knew, because I had seen this and I learned this, that we were going to live on a percentage of our income. And we needed to decide ahead of time what percentage that was going to be. And I would just tell you this. You need to decide what percentage of your income you are going to live on. Because this is some brilliant insight. You should write this down or, or put it in the app. You are going to live on a percentage of your income, right? For some of us, it's 90%. For some of us, it's 112% with some credit card debt. But we are all going to live on a percentage of our income. Why not choose it then, rather than have a lifestyle choose it for you? Why not be hurt? Why be herded in a direction where you don't really know what's happening? You just find out after the fact because Jesus, I think, is saying in this parable, that's what shrewd people do. That's how they look ahead. That's how they evaluate their life. And and they begin to get to a place where God starts to do something in them where they want to be generous as much as they can. They want to say yes as much as they can. They've developed a lifestyle where they can do that. They want to err even on the side of generosity. And so listen, I heard this in a podcast recently. I think it summarized it so, so well. Here's the reality when you begin to set your life up like this. Something happens where the stuff you give away, the money you give away, what you decide to do with the things that God's placed in your hands, all of a sudden over time that stuff is turned into stories. 
And a lot of times you don't know a decade later what you would have done with the money that you gave away, but you will never forget the stories that resulted as you see God move and interact in and through your life and in the lives of people around you. I'll never forget early on in, in starting Centerpoint, Nicole and I wanted to do this as much as possible. We haven't done it perfectly, and we have gotten it wrong so many times. But I remember a girl specifically that um, early on, she was just struggling. She was a single mom. Um, she had had a really rough background. Family life with her parents was really difficult. And we, God just placed her in our heart where we knew we needed to say yes to her as much as we possibly could. To the point at times where it felt like, are we being stupid here? Like, are we, I, I don't know. I don't know what the line is, but I'll just never forget walking through that season. It was so messy. I remember going to a coffee shop with her the night that she got pulled over for DUI and her life is just a wreck. And, and you're sitting there and trying to love her at the same time. Like, are you kidding me? You have a toddler? Like, what are you doing? I remember writing a $500 check to her at one point, And I can't tell you how massive that was for us as a time, at the time going, are we dumb? Are we stupid for doing this? Like, but we knew that God had placed her in our life. And then I'll never forget like several other seasons where she got um, arrested for, for drugs at one point. And, you know, it's just one of those situations where like we're, this is over the top. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if this is ever going to change. But we just kept tracking. I remember one specific incident in particular. On a Sunday where my wife was calling her and she was just like, I know you're at your lowest right now, but you just, you just need to come to church. And I remember her coming to church and she was physically, like physically a mess. And she walked in in like shorts and some ratted out t-shirt. And I'll just never forget her lifting her hands in worship with just tears streaming down her face. And over a period of time, like we watched God do something extraordinary in her life with her little girl and that little family. And they're plugged into a church today and following and serving Jesus. And I, I, I say all that to say, not we're great. We haven't done that many times, but it, it was just this thing that we knew that God had placed in front of us. And that was about nine years ago. And all I would say is this, I have no idea what I would have done with that money. Probably bought some stupid crap. But I will never forget the stories that have resulted that literally we will remember until we breathe our last breath. And so you just have to answer this question because, listen, you are going to factor things into your financial decisions. Why not factor this in? Do I want more stuff or do I want to live a life with more stories? Do I want more stuff as a church? Do we want just more of whatever or do we want more stories? Do we want to see God do something in our generation, our city, our neighborhood that could only be explained by him? Do you want to see God do something in your home and in your family, in your context that could only be attributed to him? Like, what do you want? Because at the end of your life, nobody's gathering around you to talk about all the stuff that you accumulated. And come on, I just want to say this real quick to those of you at both of our churches. I cannot talk about this without saying a massive thank you to you because those of you are at North Campus, at South Campus, uh, as you look around at the buildings, as you walk into the children's environments, as you walk into Velocity on Wednesday night and see what is happening there, every single story of life change is a part of your story. And I know, like us, you don't know what you would have done with the money, but I'm telling you, every dad that has God do something in their heart at their lowest and they're brought back to their heavenly father. Every person who comes in giving the church thing one more shot and all of a sudden God begins to work in their life. Every adult who drags their teenager in against their will and all of a sudden God begins to move and they bow their knee to trust him as savior. Every single one of those stories are your stories and they will be for the rest of your life.
For Nicole and I, it's so emotional. Every time we see somebody baptized or the few times where we've had agnostic friends who love this place and love being at this church where we've seen them cross the line of faith. And I'm telling you, there is nothing in the world like that. So do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? Because money is, money is incredible. Money is a gift of God. But money can add meaning to your life when it is used as a means to an end that goes beyond just you. Jesus isn't done. Here's the end of the parable. He says this. And maybe you've heard these verses before. If you are faithful in little things, you're going to be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you're not going to be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, this is so strong, who will trust you with the riches, the true riches of heaven? And basically what Jesus is saying here is that no matter how much you have, what's been placed in your hand, what you've been given, what we've been given, it's a tool to be used as a means to an end, and it's a test. That God has given you a stewardship to really see which kingdom you're most devoted to. For us as a church, what kingdom we're most devoted to? And can I just say this, especially if you're like a young leader right now, that a lot of times we want the payoff without the process. Like we want God to move. We want to see God do something supernatural. I'm telling you, the starting place is where you're at right now. The starting place is what God's given you, the opportunities given you, the 1195 that you're making an hour, whatever it is, because there is always a process before the payoff. And any time you see public anointing and a public move of God, it is born on the back of private sacrifice. People going, God, when nobody else knows, I'm going to be faithful. When nobody else knows, I'm going to open up my hands to you. When nobody else knows, I'm going to surrender my life, including all of my stuff to you, because I have a little bit of time, I have a little bit of opportunity, and if I want your thunder to rain down, your power, your might, for God to do something miraculous through our community, it requires me going, I surrender everything to you. And I want to be devoted to your kingdom more, more than I'm devoted to anything else. And if you're not faithful, verse 12, with other people's things, and you're like, what? This is my stuff. Like, I earned this. And Jesus is like, shh. If you're, if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? And Jesus' point is like, your money will still be here when you're not here. And the moment you think that you own it, come on, is the moment that it owns you. The reality is this for all of us. I don't even care like what, what you are in, in terms of the spectrum of faith. This is just true. This is just the truth that all of us are managers. None of us are owners. You know why? Because anytime you're going to have to leave something behind, anytime you're eventually going to have to give something up, you never owned it to begin with. And the reality is this, you've heard this all your life, you can't take any of it with you. None of it's going with you. You're going to give it all back. And by definition, that makes us, that makes you, that makes me a manager and not an owner because ultimately I'm going to leave it all behind. And so if that is true, you've got to answer this question. Who am I managing it for? Who am I managing it for? And I'll just be straight. If it's you know, evolutionary, I'm not sure how we got here and it's an accident and I'm not sure where it's going and this is all there is and there's nothing beyond this moment in time. Legitimately, I don't know how you answer that question. But if you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth 
And if you believe that in the beginning God created man and woman in his image, and if you believe that in the beginning God made us, made you stewards of this planet, that one day we'll be a part of a new heaven and a new earth with a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity, then all of that makes perfect sense. Jesus is like, manage it well. Manage it well because it is a means to an end and money and resources are a tool and they're a test. So listen, if you're in the place right now where like you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not a Jesus follower, I'm not telling you how to live your life. You can pick and choose this. Some of this may actually help you out even if you don't embrace the Jesus thing, which I hope you do, but I have no right to tell you how, how to live your life. But if you're a Jesus follower and you're like, I want this. I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God do something, not just in my family, in my life, but in our city, our community, our church. I, I, I'm praying constantly that God would do something beyond me. I think if that's where you're at and you constantly are, are feeling pulled where you want to take a zero off, as soon as you're about to hit click, you just, you're moved in a different direction, but you're at the place to go, God, I really do want to surrender all of this to you. I think it starts more than anything else with a question. And the question is just this, if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, the question is what end do you want your life to be a means? Like you just have to, you just have to answer that question because everything else will follow it. If being a means to an end is what gives life meaning and it does, to what end do you want your life to be a means? Like just ask this question, what do you want people to celebrate about you? At the end of your life, like, what do you want people to say? My mom went home to be with Jesus recently, and the most powerful thing was to hear story after story of how she had so faithfully invested her life. What do you want people to say about you? What breaks your heart? And are you doing anything about it? Can I just be real direct, like real in your face? Do not pray for what you won't pay for. And a lot of us, I want to see God move. I want to see a next generation come to know faith. I want to see the church stand up in our community against racial reconciliation. I want people who've been turned off 10 years ago to find that this is the most welcoming and accessible place on the planet. I want this to be a place where those who walked away thinking there was no hope can find hope in Jesus. I want to see our community be moved by the local church where physical needs are met, where education is resourced, where God does something that we, if we were to be snuffed out, everything would change because of the difference that we're making. If that's you, then do not pray for what you will not pay for. Jesus is like, I want to know what kingdom you're most committed to. And it's easy to lift your hands and give lip service. It's much harder to surrender at the level of your heart and your devotion. But when you do, I will bring the thunder and I will do something in your church and in your life that is beyond maybe what you could even imagine because listen if you don't answer those questions all of your appetites are going to eat up all of your resources and they're going to dictate everything that you do and so I just say this in love and then you can walk out you don't have to do anything with it but here's what I know about your life and what I know you don't want at the end of your life, and I don't even know some of you. But at the end of your life, you don't want somebody to stand up and go, listen, they were all about accumulation, consumption, upgrades, fashion, house full of crap. Like that was, that was their life. Accumulation, consumption, upgrades, fashion, 
Pinterest perfect house, like all of it was on point and that's all that they have left. And I just wanna tell you, if you don't answer those questions and decide ahead of time, that is the direction the current of culture will take you. And those will be the adjectives at the end that for some of us will describe our life. Come on, nobody wants, this is Ecclesiastes, nobody wants about their life. He worked, he played some golf, he lived it up, he got a watch, he died, right? I don't think anybody gives watches out anymore when you retire, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody wants that for, that is a life that is poorly lived. But when you answer the question, to what end do I want my life to be a means? Your money will naturally follow it because you will begin to see all of your time, all of your opportunity, all of your stuff as a means to an end because your life is a means to an end. And one day, Jesus is coming back. This is what we believe as Jesus followers. One day, Jesus is gonna defeat death. At the cross, the thunder that came down, the earth that began to shook was this powerful picture that when Jesus seemed powerless, all of his power was on display, that death was being defeated, shame, guilt, condemnation was gonna bow its knee to Jesus, that Jesus was gonna rip away the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And three days later, a resurrected Jesus would emerge with all power over all things, mental illness, suicide, addiction, marriages and relationships that are severed, hopelessness and culture. One day it's all going to bow its knee to the resurrected Jesus who has accomplished it all. And now we believe that what we are doing in this little bit of time and little bit of space is going to matter for all of eternity. And one day he He's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. So as we close, I heard this this last week, and I think it describes it so well. If you live for you, if you live for your life, if it's all about you, if you live for you, you're going to have nothing to show for you at the end of your life but you. And probably some stuff that you're going to leave for some people to fight over. And so to what end do you want our church to be a means? To what end do you want your life to be a means? And I'm telling you, man, in the first century, there was a group of people, we talk about this all the time, that had no influence and no political standing and no leverage and no power, zero platform. And they just embraced this one idea that they had been taught from Jesus and they began to be generous in a way that was shocking in their culture and it tore down walls and it changed the world. So much so that the writer of Hebrews came along later to describe this group and he says this powerful phrase, that of that group of people, not because they just memorized the Torah, attended the temple, check something off a box, but because they were irrationally, extraordinarily generous. They planted churches all over the Mediterranean rim. They risked their lives. They nursed babies back to health. They did what nobody else was willing to do in a culture that hadn't even heard of this before. And the author of Hebrews says that the world was not worthy of them. That could be said of your life. That could be said of my life. That could be said of our church in this little time and little space that we have to make a difference that has the power to change everything, not just in our community, our city, maybe our county and beyond. Because we serve a God of blood and thunder. And when we're willing to sacrifice, he's willing to meet us there and show off and flex his power and might in a way that is beyond what we can imagine.
There was one other group that was there when Jesus was telling this whole story of the Pharisees. In Luke 16, 14, it said that the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this. They scoffed at Jesus. And do you know what their names were? I don't either. Do you guys stand with me at our locations? I just want to lead you in prayer right now as our team comes. Would you pray with me, Jesus? I know this, this hits us all over the place, but I thank you. Thank you for your clarity. I thank you for 2,000 years ago. Lord, displaying your brilliance about our psychology, our life, about just the natural directions in which we're pulled and how we think. And I thank you just for speaking into that so clearly, so profoundly. And Lord, we have the decision of whether we wanna, whether we wanna listen to it or take it serious or not. And Lord, I pray for those who've never embraced Jesus as savior that Lord, they wouldn't hear me saying something this morning that I'm not saying. And Lord, the reality is we and you most importantly want something for them and not from them. And today, that the, really the only thing they would consider is who is Jesus and what has he done? And we believe that Jesus historically, I think in a way that is indisputable, walked out of a grave alive. And if that's true, his offer of hope and forgiveness and life, it's real and it's available. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are longtime followers of Jesus. We've submitted our lives to go as best we can we do want to know what you want, Jesus, and we do want to follow it. I pray for some of us, Lord, we would be stopped in our tracks to begin to evaluate the trajectory of where some things are going in our life and some decisions that we're making that we've never even thought through. And we would begin to maybe for the first time or again to evaluate the massive question over our life. What do we want our life to count for? To what means do we wanna be an end? And that includes all of our stuff and everything you've placed in our hand, including our money, ultimately your money, your resources to leverage and to steward for your kingdom. And so God, wherever this hits us, I pray that you would give us the boldness to be able to do something with it and the boldness to be able to trust you, even if it's a little scary on the front end. And God, our prayer for individuals and for families and for this church is that we would be able to step out and be willing to step out in the areas where it is most uncomfortable and it plays on all of our perceived security and we would surrender anyway and that you would do something in and through us. You would bring your power and your might in such a way that we'd be able to say, God moved in our generation. God moved in our city. God moved in our families. Help us to surrender. We pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, 
we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.